we like the idea that it's a dessert-focused destination, um, and I and we hope that that encourages people. You know, it isn't a job that has a lot of growth prospects. <laughs> Once you're, you know, that's usually the end of the ride, right? If you're a pastry chef, so it's nice for for us to show that you can make a make a business out of it and make it as a real alternative. You know, it's not a. It is a real choice. It is a it is a destination. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to one of the well, one of the world's most renowned chefs. His name is Will Goldfarb. His restaurant room for dessert in Bali. It's it's an amazing experience. I was reflecting on my incredible meal there in preparation for this talk, and I think I just had a feeling and I heard sounds of insects and the swoosh of flowers and just felt warm air around me and it was a nice little journey in these strange times. Will was recently named the world's best pastry chef by world's 50 best and I'm super honored to have him on the show. Welcome Will. Thanks Danny. we're really excited to be here. Tell me where life finds you today. Well, I never like to give my precise location. I like to leave it a little bit of a mystery, but let's say I'm, I'm in continental Europe currently. <laughs> That's very non-specific. I mean, I know from your Instagram that you've at least uh, darted briefly into Paris, so you don't have to tell us where you are. But um, what kind of trip are you on? Uh, well, it's a little bit of work, a little bit of pleasure. I have some family time now, which is why I tend not to give too many details. But I'll be visiting some friends at, let's say, in times ahead, I'll be visiting some friends at uh over at Basque Culinary and in Copenhagen as well. And I've had a couple of great days in Antwerp. Um, and I'm, I'm here with family, but I'm also uh, in meetings and meeting with uh, friends, talking with other chefs and trying to get excited for the year ahead. Um, we've got so many things planned at Room for Dessert. So we're, it's really a good time to be away from the restaurant for a moment uh, as the borders are just starting to reopen and come back uh, fully recharged and excited for the year. Well, I mean, it's, I can already sense the optimism that you're feeling, which is fantastic because, we, you know, we've had a, a pretty tough time in Melbourne where I am. We're just on the verge of reopening for the uh, sixth time. Um, so it's pretty hard yards. And I know you've worked in Australia and, you know, most notably at Tetsuya's in Sydney. So, you know, you know, Australia pretty well. But I mean, tell me what Europe feels like at the moment. Uh, Europe feels okay. I'd say it feels pretty natural. Uh, people seem to be coming back into their own. I, there's a lot of mix, I'd say, between countries. Like, for example, between Belgium and Spain, you know, Spain is still fully masked. Uh, Belgium is essentially mask-free. Uh, and it was a little disconcerting to be a little disconcerting to be there coming directly from uh, coming directly from Asia, for example. Uh, but it's in things seem to be, let's say, coming back towards a new normal, uh, which is encouraging. I'm sure you know, obviously, from Australia and Bali, we've been uh, still closed. The airports are still closed. Uh, so even just having the airports open for us is really nice. And it's it's nice to see people doing their best, getting back out there and hustling a bit and uh, just trying to to get that energy back onto the streets. So it's really, yeah, it's really nice. I, I'm, I'm happy to be back here. Uh, it's yeah it's been a it's been a great trip back and there's so many people again friends of mine from the 90s when i lived in the coast of spain um people that i saw at 50 best um and you know, again i'll be seeing some of my roommates from from 99 uh next week uh, <laughs> so amazing. when you say the coast of spain it was a restaurant called el bully so obviously it wasn't just uh, a random point on the coast of spain it was uh, one of the world's 
great restaurants at the time and it will always have an incredibly special place in culinary history. I was just um, going back through your beautiful cookbook um, as I was thinking about this chat and just some fantastic stories from that period. And even the introduction to the book um, from Albert Adria, where he talks about the fact that you approached him and spoke to him in Catalan in preparation for your time there, that you'd gone to that trouble of learning his language and he found that to be quite a um, a pointer to your character, I suppose, to your preparation and your perseverance and your doggedness and, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's very, I mean, it's very meaningful here, especially to, but I think everywhere. You see that also in Bali, you know, to speak, for example, Balinese and, and Indonesian are both are so distinct and they communicate differently to different people and I think it's all about just trying to find the, best way to communicate with with anyone and if that's you know if language language is a great uh, help for that if you can if you can show the effort um, and I think that really helped me years ago I still I still try to do as well as I can although my Bahasa is not as good as it should be but um, I'm I'm, uh, I'm very aware that that's something that puts people at ease right away um, and it's really it really is nice to be able to start start at that point it's it really cuts you out of so many things if you're not able to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, I mean, you've really embedded yourself in Balinese life. You know, the restaurant in Ubud is, um, well, I think er almost everyone that was there when I was lucky enough to dine there was was a local, um, which, yeah, it's, it's really, I think there are a lot of restaurants of all different types in Bali, but a lot of them are sort of transplanted. They're, you know, offering a European or an American experience in, um, you know, more that holiday resort kind of vibe. But Room for Dessert is certainly extremely different to that. Well, thank you. I, we, we really try to um, be, I mean, we're in Bali, we're in Ubud, you know, we don't pretend to be somewhere else. We want to be somewhere. I mean, we, we, it's our version of Bali and it's our interpretation. And, you know, it's a contemporary, even for example, now it's sort of a contemporary variation of traditional medicinal plants from Bali. Uh, but, you know, when you're there, you feel like you're in Bali. You don't feel like you're anywhere or Cancun or, I don't know, coast in Australia or in the Riviera. You you want to feel like you're in Ubud and you're in Bali. Um, but obviously with things, I guess I would say with a, with a standard that meets or exceeds what you're used to at home, but but not with a setting that's, that's uh, trying to recall something uh, from home. Mm. What's it been like in Bali over the last couple of years? I mean... I've spoken to one person in Ubud on the podcast uh, probably a year ago and she talked about, you know, that the monkeys had come out of the forest and into the town. I mean, it must just have been a really crazy time. Well, listen, we've been, we've been really excited about our, about our local community. We've been really excited about taking care of everyone from the new thing. The things we did last year, I guess I would say, to survive. Uh, like the groceries delivery, we did a pop-up deli in Chengdu. I mean, we did pretty much every possible event that you can think of. Um, but our main focus was cooking meals for the community. So we've given away a lot of, you know, basically thousands of meals a month uh, to our community, to our staff. And that's been the main focus of what we do. I think we gave away something like 95% of the food that we cooked last year, um, which was really meaningful. And we're still, we're still, giving away at the same rate we're actually trying to give away more i think that hunger going forward is going to be continue to be an issue 
Um, but Ubud, for example, has been quite quiet. Uh, it hasn't seen really much bounce back uh, so far. But I don't know. We've we've been fortunate. We try not to worry too much in the sense of like what trends are, what's going on around us. Um, but for us, you know, now that things are coming back, we had a big weekend from Jakarta, and we've got a lot of great loyal guests in Indonesia who we hope will make the trip up to Ubud even before the rest of the town really opens up. But it's been fairly challenging, I think, for a lot of business owners, and it's a difficult time. So we just try to do the best that we can with what we have at our disposal. Mm. I mean, what's your, I guess, mindset been, or what have you, what have you tried to? How have you tried to approach things? Well, we've looked at it and said, okay, you know, last year we survived, and then this year we need to start planning and getting ahead for the next ten years. You know, whether that's our ingredients line or our academy. Uh, which has gone really well this year, and we're going to keep expanding through the coming years. Uh, we did a we did a rebrand uh, with Space Available to get our sort of graphics and messaging in a row that we're really really excited about, and that's been a big push for us this year. We've got a new menu coming out uh, that we're really excited about, and we planted another two thousand square meters of garden. Uh, so. We are really, I don't know, we're sort of all in. Uh, we've just tried to stay positive, stay, stay humble, and stay focused on what's important, which is keeping our staff uh, healthy and safe. And that, you know, in turn, that's sort of our little way that we can start taking care of the community. Um, and then from there, you know, sort of hunker down together and just say, we'll, we'll get through this, and then we'll see everybody on the other side. Mm. I mean, you know, when you say talking about the garden and, and all those plants, I, I don't think I've ever had such an ex, such an experience of desserts as something so botanical as at your restaurant. Or, you know, you, to walk into the restaurant, you sort of, well, I don't, when I was there, it's like you sort of come through the side and it's it's just a rampant garden. And I suppose things do grow pretty well in in Bali, but it was just so fragrant and vegetal and uh, it was a really interesting introduction to a meal that ha- had savoury components, but I suppose people, you know, want to come and see how you interpret desserts. Can you can you talk about that whole garden and farm side of what you do? Yeah, I think, well, my wife's a very passionate gardener and I think these, you know, I'd say sort of what we have there is kind of an English garden transplanted into Bali. And with all these traditional plants, the new direction that we've been going is more, I would say, sort of a micro farm. Um, and we're looking to be more into the regenerative farming world um, and moving out of, like, let's say, maintaining the gardening world and moving also into something a little bit larger scale um, where we can do a few more things. But um, we have, you know, about 200 types of plants. I think we planted about five or six dozen trees uh, two years ago, and we're planting another five or six dozen in the coming year. Um, which, again, is not that much in the sort of world stage, but if every little 30-seat place was able to do that, I think, I think that would be, be a real game-changer. So we've, we've taken these traditional Balinese and medicinal plants from around the world and then reincorporated them into our menu. So it's really a botanical-driven menu, uh, both for the savory, sweet, and also for the bar components. And that's, we're, we're really passionate about that. So, I mean, can you sort of take that forward and explain how it turns into food? Like what kinds of dishes are you creating or planning? Sure. Well, we work, I mean, the next menu, well, I, tend not to, I try not to give too much of a head. Let's say, let's look at the current menu, which is called Casting Spells. So that's built on 21 combinations from traditional Balinese Lantar scrolls for traditional healing uh, and 
let's say, spells, uh, which we're not allowed to use since we're not holy people, but we're able to look at the ingredients and then convert them into dishes. Um, so on the, on the current menu, we have, so there's 21 dishes <clears throat> built around 21 spells, 21 key plants from our garden. Um, and that's sort of the adventure that we take people on over the two or three hours that they're at the restaurant. I mean, even as you describe it, I feel like you've cast a spell on me. I mean, when you say spells, like they, I mean, what kind of magic are we talking about? Well, this is pretty simple magic. This is more if you've got a fever or, you know, you want to keep your, if your, if your kid is crying and things like that. These are more for keeping kids healthy. Okay. All right. So it's not to be pretty relevant, seem to be pretty relevant at the, at the time. Okay. So it's not like someone's going to disappear or manifest in a different part of the room all of a sudden. It's unlikely that you will disappear. Uh, while dining with us, okay, <laughs> but not impossible. But not impossible. <laughs> One of the things that's really striking about well, about my experience at your restaurant, anyway, was that it was a very female-centric team. Is that something that you've consciously tried to achieve? Well, we don't go out of our way to have a female-led staff. I think it's worked out that way. We've just found that the best—I guess we we like to say, you know the best the best man for the job is frequently a woman. Uh, so in our case, we, we've got a great uh, woman-led team. We also have great uh, male members of our staff who do great. Uh, but in terms of our leadership team, I think we're about three-fourths female uh, and all quite young. Uh, our average age of our, even of our management team is around 24 or 25. Um, and we're just really excited to be supporting these young women and men from Indonesia, from Bali, and to give them a platform and, and give them access. I think there's a we always talk about a talent gap, but I think really it's we're talking about an access gap. And it's important to give people a chance to show what they can do and give them a and give them a platform to do it. It's I mean, it's really interesting, you know, if, if you're a very successful American white male coming to Bali to um, you know, to open a restaurant. I mean, how do you sort of negotiate the, I guess, you know, the, the white saviour connotations that could be put onto what you're doing with, with, you know, the project that you set out for yourself and for the people around you? Yeah, I mean, well, we, the, the first thing, you know, we don't take ourselves, at least from my side, too seriously. And we're not looking to, we're not here to save anyone. We're, we're aware of the privileged position that we come to. I don't think Bali needs any saving, at least of all from me. They've been doing fine for thousands of years and they'll be doing fine for thousands of years again. If anything, it's the reverse. You know, we're, we're, people are coming to Bali to be recharged, to be reinvigorated. Um, and, and if you look at, you know, the last couple of years, especially if you look around the world and people struggling to adapt, you know, I don't think the Balinese traditionally are struggling to adapt. They seem to be doing just fine. Um, moving back to a community-based, uh, agricultural-driven uh, society, which they, they always have had. So I think the rest of the world is moving in that direction rather than the other way around. And I think it would be foolish to come to Bali and try to change it and, and make it in a different way. There's a reason that it's a place that everyone from around the world wants to go. Um, and it's not because it's full of people like me. Um, and I think that's okay. And I, we're proud to be there. We're proud to be guests. You know, we're, we're, and we just do our best to take care of the people and the place and the community that we're in during the time that we're there. And why did you go there, Will? Why did you move there? Uh, well, we were looking for a place for school uh, for our daughter. This is about 15, 12 or 15 years ago. And I think 
but I think more importantly, it was just a chance for uh, us to take the get a change from New York. I think we were burned out from New York. And again, to, to your point from before, I think it was more a case of needing more Bali rather in our life than more New York. Um, and I think that that was a really good change for us. It's taken some time to um, to get comfortable, to, to do something that we're really excited about. But, but at the same time, it's been really, uh, I don't know, it's been a really amazing experience. Mm. I mean, what's it like for you to, uh, as, do you often travel? I mean, is, has, have you been, you know, stuck there because of the pandemic for longer than you normally would? Or do you, are you, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, normally, I, normally I like to travel, let's say, as regularly as possible uh, while still being able to, to take care of the restaurant and to be able to see my family. Um, I travel as much as I can. The last two years, obviously, it's been significantly less. Um, so I just, I, but at the same time, you know, we've been, we've been doing a lot of work at the restaurant. So it's been good to be there with the team during this difficult time and sort of make sure everybody's positive. It's hard. It's a lot of young people now. And this is probably, I mean, realistically, hopefully this will be the big challenge in their, in their working life. Uh, but you never know. Um, I mean, I think so far, um, it's been, it's been good to be together. And I think there's a time for travel and a time for staying put. And I think also that's the kind of thing that people are realizing all over the world as well. Mm. I mean, a lot of restaurateurs and, you know, chefs have used the pandemic as an opportunity to reframe the way they look after guests. I mean, have you seen much of that in your travels in Europe? And and do you plan to do it differently when you reopen to international travellers? You know, I'm not sure uh, how much... We are going to change in that regard. I think we've always been a place that people feel at home when they come to our restaurant. I think that's been a big part of what we do. Um, You know, you walk into our garden, you're sitting in our living room, you know, you come inside to our dining room, you sit out in the terrace. I think these are really warm, nice things uh, that we would like to keep sharing with people uh, as, as this opens. I think people are going to be looking for more experiences once they get out of this pandemic especially. So I think it would be a mistake to sort of all of a sudden try to reinvent everything. Um, I think that we just want to keep doing what we do, do it better, make things that are more delicious, make people feel more comfortable and also give people a chance to be part of our community that can't necessarily come to the restaurant. I'd love to talk to you about creativity because it's obviously, well, at the heart of what you do. Uh, I think I want to go back and ask you about El Bulli and when you went there, you, it seemed like a place. I was I was never fortunate enough to go there, but just from, you know, what I've read and heard and, and seen, it seemed like a place where creativity was prized for its own sake. You know, it was possibly the first restaurant. Well, I don't know if it was, but it certainly became known for its laboratory and the fact that it closed for a long period of time each year just to create. I mean, was that something that swept you up did it seem obvious once you were there that things should be done like that or was it a was it a turning point for you to experience that sort of privileging of creativity i mean it was both i mean it it was one of those things where you're surprised to see it but also it feels natural and i think if you look around the world you'll see that that process has been absorbed by most of the restaurants that are considering the leading places all over the world right now um and I mean, we were we were just on stage uh, a few weeks ago, and it was like a lot of the class of 1999 and 2000. Uh, so I think it's interesting that I think it's set the bar for 
being creative. I'm not sure that I would say the first. I, I think it's still about flavor and product. Uh, but and I think that's something that is slightly slightly overlooked sometimes in the coverage. But I would say the creative process and having a separate agenda and having an independent uh, workshop for restaurants. I'm not sure whether it's the first per se or whether that's so important, but it definitely made it uh, normal or almost a requirement going forward to have an R&D department for a restaurant um, as opposed to for a big food company. So I think we do it, for example, in a very different way, uh, which is that we have the team members who are involved in the service doing it as opposed to a separate team. Uh, but actually, that's more similar to what happened after I left, where the when they closed for lunch, um, and everyone had to do their own R and D on their station before before their prep. Um, but the we're always working on that process, and I think it's very important um, for people to be able to express themselves. And that doesn't mean that the food needs to be complicated or to be perceived as being creative, but it's just about being able to work on something and giving yourself space and time to do that. Mm. I mean, can you tell us about something, some sort of creative process that you were part of or that you witnessed that was, I don't know, that would, would be really exciting for us to hear about? Um, I'm not, I mean, I think every day was fireworks back then, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, when in 2000 was the spring when the lab was first built, so it was pretty amazing. I mean, that was uh, 1999. The creative team was still working at the aquarium in Barcelona uh, in like a little table on the side of the catering kitchen. Um, so, you know, all of those things that we think of as defining the 90s were done on a side table and, you know, like in the, just, just on the side. Um, there no walls and no, and I think in some ways that's, that's even more impressive, frankly. Um, but the, the conversion of the space in the spring of 2000 uh, in Porta Farisa, which was the taller, was pretty extraordinary. And just the setting and having a beautiful place to come in every day with high ceilings, you know, having your little meetings in the morning and the in the pastor's room because it was an old uh, religious building i'm not sure exactly what it was but there was a sort of there was it had a very like uh you're here for a reason you know there's a library upstairs to go look at what you're looking at and then plenty of space for people to cook downstairs um you know every day would start but again this is something very important as well every day would start in the market you know it wouldn't start just at the table right it would start at the market and then it would come back to the to the table and then go into the kitchen um, so I think that that's really important to remember that it's still about the product um, and then it's about the technique and then it's about the idea. So what kinds of things, you know, or can you draw a through line from from that experience to the way that you develop dishes in Bali? Is it, is it, is it again, it starts with the produce or is, are, there always, are there methods or techniques that you're sort of always ticking over? How does that work? Uh, it depends. We tend to mix it up a bit. Uh, you know, we tend to have a theme for the menu, but we build it around products. So in this case, we start by planting, uh, you know, so we try to stay a year ahead and we start looking at the 21 products that we're going to want to use in a year from now um, and try to get those going, make sure we can grow them properly. So that's changed our creative process completely. Um, and that gives us then a year to work on those products uh, and use all of the different byproducts from the plants and things that we grow. Um, and that's been really the focus for the last two years and will be for the coming years. So I think with our with our plan, that's that's a pretty significant uh, departure that we're, our, we're starting with the seed. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And that's and then we'll we'll start with the seed and then we'll work our way through a theme and then that will sort of give an overarching structure to the menu and then the dishes will start as ideas 
with the technical component, and once we fix the technical component, then we work on the dish. And then when we're, we get the dish right, then we, well, I mean, there's a timeline, obviously, we have about half a year to do each menu. Um, so as soon as that's ready, then obviously we have to get ready. Um, and of course, then that always changes a little bit when you get to the line uh, in terms of the in terms of the service. Everything needs to be a little bigger, a little saltier, a little sweeter, a little you know different plating than we had in mind. But pretty much when the menu change happens, we know what we're doing. Then we give ourselves a month to change the menu. Um, so it's pretty routine. You know, we do a month, we do a year before the planting. Then the, when we start the menu which is six months before we do the brainstorm meeting, you know, for like, we go through the ideas for about a month. We work on the techniques for about three months. Um, we work on sort of uh, pulling the dishes together over another month, and then we work on the change over the next month. So that takes us about, amazingly, it's not that much time. Uh, it's So even to do six months to get on the menu, when you're doing 21 dishes twice a year, it's pretty, uh, pretty full on. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, leisure. Uh, but we try to keep the work. We probably could do a little more technical work than we're doing now. But we've, I think that what we've done in terms of the product and starting from the ground uh, has been pretty meaningful. So I, I don't think I would trade that. But it's, you can't really do everything at the same time. Um, you always need to be able to focus on something. So um, we're really focused on traditional wisdom and 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 f things that may have been way, made a certain way. So sometimes it's more matter of uh, rediscovering something that was done um, and then converting it into our own style. Uh, but the plants um, is sort of botanical modernism, which is kind of the name we give to holding all of these things together. Um, working with our healing plants and then applying this traditional wisdom has been uh, really helpful for us in our process. And then, the, you know, I think the, the details of it are kind of how I outlined it there, but obviously there's a little wiggle room always. Yeah, I just find it so fascinating to think about this balance between the, the reasonably long timeline that you've got of actually growing the ingredients and the sort of ephemera of the dish on a plate. It's, um, it's I don't know, it just seems, it's I suppose it's like it's a high wire act, but in a sense, of course, you know, the trapeze artist has trained for, you know, years and years and years to get to that point, to give you that thing, that experience in the moment. Well, we're, you know, the nice thing is it disappears in a moment, but, but remember, you know, for us, we, then we do it, you know, we do it 10,000 times. So it's like, it's more like a short running uh, Broadway show, <laughs> you know, we put on, we put on the show and then, but we wrap it up and then we open the next show. We, we don't close, you know, we close it by choice and we move on to the next show and then we do that show five times a day and then we get up the next day and we do it again five times a day. Yeah. It's. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about this traditional wisdom? Can, and just, I'd love just for you to give people an example of how things manifest in in a dish. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm trying. Well, I mean, we have, you know, we have a great dish on the menu now, which is built on um, taro, wood roasted taro, which is a traditional street snack in Bali, and that's made just by putting the taro under the coals uh, that are used for burning other things, basically. And we have a roast taro that we pass. It's kind of through a grater. It's, it's more like a mill, but so it comes out sort of stringy and kind of looks like coconut. And we put it, we serve it with a vanilla ice cream that we actually cook over the wood fire. So it tastes very smoky, even though we haven't smoked it per se. We've just cooked it over wood. Um, and a little bit of palm sugar and grated canary nuts uh, is on our current menu. And it's really incredibly delicious. It tastes like Bali. And it all comes from this sort of idea of, you know, uh, how things are made, right, which is in fire. 
and it's also how how things are put together. I mean, this is a really traditional Balinese uh, street snack, but we've converted it into a, uh, I don't want to say a fine dining dessert, but that's probably the most accurate way of describing it, but hopefully just something mm -hmm. that's delicious. Um, I think our, we're using a lot of taro on this menu. We have crepes uh, at the beginning. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's everywhere. But we're big taro fans. Underappreciated roots. It sounds, I really want it. <laughs> it sounds so good. <laughs> it's yummy. It's delicious. Um, I know that you don't want to tell us much about your new menu, but you did let slip to me that it's called Poubelle Cuisine, which isn't, isn't Poubelle garbage? Yeah, well, we're working on, we used to do something called, that we called kind of garbage cooking about 20 years ago, which was using all the byproducts from the kitchen. I mean, back then there wasn't really a zero waste movement, although there, there certainly is now. So what we're doing is using all of the byproducts from all of the things we grow, the leaves, the stems, the branches, the roots, uh, the flowers, not just the fruits and, and the herbs and spices themselves. So uh, we're really excited about the, leaving nothing behind, even on the plants and seeds that we grow ourselves. And I think that's going to be, and the other, well, the other thing is we're sort of passionate about Nouvelle Cuisine. So, and I think it's a good thing for people to learn. So we're going to re be rebuilding 21 classic dishes from the 70s and 80s uh, from Nouvelle Cuisine kitchens through the plants that we grow in our garden. Oh, as part of this Poubelle Cuisine menu. That's right, yeah. Oh, that is, so oh, that's so cool. Yeah. When is that happening? Can I, I've got to. Text flights should be should be for first quarter should be first quarter 2022. Oh my goodness, um, that sounds so incredibly cool. I just I just love it. Um, tell me, Will, about the 50 best. Was that a very was that a meaningful honor for you? How how does how does that feel? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty extraordinary to be uh, recognized in that way and to be up there. You know, the people who have won it before are amazing. To be you know, it's it's. For what we do, there really is only just that one award, so that's sort of it. <laughs> so I really want to enjoy it. I've worked really hard. You know, my family obviously has given up a lot for me to be pursuing this, so I'm very grateful, and it just sort of brings everything together. It's a really sort of sweet way to end a bit challenging year or two. Uh, but, yeah, it's an incredible achievement, and it's really an honor to be recognized, especially by peers, you know, like by, with people in the industry. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's just super, I couldn't believe it. When they called, I thought they were going to ask me to make some ice cream for the reception. So, <laughs> uh, Congratulations. So you knew before you went that you were going to be receiving the award for? No, technically that would not be possible because no announcements or information are confirmed prior to the event. Uh, so because there is, otherwise they would risk, their confidentiality, which is really important as, uh, as part of the process. But I was encouraged to attend, uh, and I was invited to attend, um, which is, and, I, and, and, and that's really the most uh, that anyone can say about it. But I think it was, uh, um, look, I would have been happy just to go. I'm still a fan, you know, I'm a fan of the people that were there. I was happy to sit with, you know, like Jorge from Quintanil and Rodrigo from Borago. These guys are like, these are total legends. Um, to me, uh, and I'm excited. I was would have been excited just to sit there anyway. It, it was a bonus to get the award. Oh, well, it's it's really nice um, to hear how much it means to you. I think it's 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 great. Um, it, what do you hope to bring to the world of desserts? I mean, you've you've you're obviously a, 
a game changer and somebody that people look to to see, you know, where you're going to take things next. But I mean, for, for you, like, where are you trying to push it? Well, I mean, I think from our side, look, we've always been toying with crossing over to savory. I think you'll see some more savory stuff from us in the coming years. I mean, I think right now we've been trying to carve out a space for pastry to be considered legitimately uh, as an option, right? And I think, I mean, to a certain extent, I think we have done that just by being open. Um, and I think the current menu that we have uh, has a lot more in common with a, with a classic, you know, tasting menu restaurant than it does with a sweet shop or even a dessert bar. And we're very proud about that. And if we're able to be recognized by that as a legitimate category, then I think that's kind of a bonus. Um, but, but, you know, th those kind of things aren't why we cook, right? Those are just incidental. Uh, we cook because it makes people happy. And, you know, we tried to be generous. And it's silly to talk about tasting menus and awards when, you know, the country's closed, people are hungry and, and all of those things. But at the same time, we, I mean, we, it's nice to do both, right? We should, we're able to be recognized to provide this extraordinary experience, but at the same time know that, you know, what we, what's important is to be cooking for our staff, cooking for the orphanages, the senior centers, and the rest of the people who really need something. Um, I think in terms of food, I think there's a lot of space to uh, share things in a responsible way, uh, as long as they're delicious. And I, again, I think that's what's critical right now is making sure that it's not just talk and it's not I eat fancy ideas. It's something delicious, something satisfying, and, and something fun. I mean, I think that always motivates us. That, that will never stop. Uh, and I think where we can go, we've toyed with the idea of doing more savory dishes at Room for Dessert. Um, but there's a point, you know, once you get over 50-50, then it becomes just another restaurant. So we like the idea that it's a dessert-focused destination. Um, and, I, and we hope that that encourages people. You know, it isn't a job that has a lot of growth prospects <laughs> once you're, you know, that's usually the end of the ride, right? If you're a pastry chef. So it's nice for, for us to show that you can make a, make a business out of it and make it as a real alternative. You know, it's not a, it is a real choice. It is a, it is a destination, hopefully. Um, but also one that, that keeps people satisfied, happy, uh, and, and, you know, entertained in, a, in the most old school way. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people and myself included have really um, uh, latched onto and appreciated the the real meaning of gathering to eat and to experience food and, you know, the, the work and the creativity and the, the passion and thought and planning that goes into it. I think as much, of course, it's most important that people are fed and looked after in 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 all ways but the you know the art of dining is and being human I think they're really inextricably linked for so many people and I think it, I know that you know other forms of creativity are threaded through what you do and I think yeah there's so many ways that people can express themselves and it's really important that they do it well I think we look that's important for us too and we like to be able to show that to people and I think it's just important for us not to be, let's say, not to be preachy about it, uh, but we try to show people by, by what we're doing, which is we, we try to cook it. Um, we try to show, like, we try to make it fun and make it accessible and be delicious and be meaningful at the same time. And, I, and I'm, we're really always happy when people come. We don't take it for granted. Uh, so it's really a luxury position to be in where we're able to do that and then people also come and are, and are sort of entertained and satisfied. It's, it's pretty pretty great combination. That's kind of the holy grail. 
Well, speaking of um, things being entertaining and fun, um, <laughs> I really love the way you've written the methods in your cookbook. And I'll just, I just want to read one because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, people aren't going to make these dishes, right? And for most um, of, you know, what? Well, you'd be surprised. It's a very hard book to find right now. It's, uh, I believe it's sold out. So we'll see. It's, uh, yeah. But I think, I think you're right. I, to, to your point, no, I mean, I'm not going to cook a dessert like that at home, but I might make the cake. You know, I, I think that's, and then that's why we try to include the sort of home, home recipes in the back or the basic recipes because no, no one is going to cook like that at home. Uh, and why would you, you know, like, uh, but, but, uh, we tried to show people sort of the fun side as well. And I think, uh, well, I, I'm not sure what you'll allude to now. I hope it's not too embarrassing. So it's a dish called chocolate <laughs> smoked. And I could have flipped it open at probably any page and found something that's just as fun. But so, you know, there's like one, two, three, four. There's like six elements. And then the assembly is, the assembly is reads like this. Quit smoking. Yes, that means you, room for dessert staff. Make a nougatine. Quickly scatter some tobacco gel, dates, and sabayon onto a caramel glazed plate. Top with ice cream and nougatine. Call your publicist. There you go. Well, you know, we that's uh, it's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> may not be the traditional may not be the traditional plating instructions, but it's I think it's still accurate. Yeah. Well, I love it. I just think it it's <laughs> it just speaks to the creativity and the sense of fun. And I, I think as you said, you know, the fact that you don't take yourselves too seriously. And I think also the fact that people have to go on their own creative journey. Um, That's right. So, yeah, I love it. Well, uh, it's been an absolute, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. I'm really, I'm really honoured and thrilled, actually. Is there anything that you would like to say before we wrap it up? Oh, I'm just, I really, thanks a lot for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to, well, I'm not sure I could listen to myself for another 40 minutes, but I hope your audience enjoys it. And I'm really, really looking forward, really grateful for the chance to, to speak to you and really looking forward to cooking the new menu for you. So hope that we get a chance to see you soon in uh, Bali or down under. Oh my goodness. I hope so too. Thank you so much, Will. Enjoy your travels. Thanks. Take care. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is